Hi, welcome to Sell Less, Mean More. I'm your host, Yolanthi Gabri. The purpose of Sell Less, Mean More is to move entrepreneurs away from a hard sell hustling mindset and towards a more holistic business practice. I'm so glad you're listening. I'm looking forward to sharing many smarts with you. Hi, welcome to Sell Less, Mean More. I'm your host, Delanthe Gabri. This week is the first solo podcast that I'm going to be doing. I'm a little bit nervous and I've been thinking for a few days about what best to discuss. That's when it sprung to mind that I hadn't actually gone through an intro about my own professional development and how I ended up being a business owner. That's a question that many people come to ask me, whether it's at networking events or online. I'm not sure if it's because I'm a youngish female entrepreneur who's been in business pretty much her entire professional career, Uh, but people are often interested in how I came to be self-employed and an employer. It wasn't some part of some kind of grand plan. It's something that happened very organically and is actually probably more the result of me recognizing my own personality type than me following on some design that I began thinking about when I was in high school or I was at university. So I guess the best place to begin is at the very beginning. I am an only child and I am very loved and was very precocious from a young age. I read everything. Uh, My parents are artists and academics, so I had a very kind of literary childhood and one that I spend a lot of time around adults in from a young age. So I was used to conversing with more mature people than kids. And in some ways that was actually pretty tricky because when I was in in kindergarten, I can actually remember disliking how how violent and ratty children were because in my own environment, I didn't actually have any particularly atavistic interactions. So um, I found little kids kind of challenging and it wasn't until I kind of hit my stride when I was around 10 or 11 and I attended a primary school where they had classes that were a bit more focused on on language and they could extend me a bit that I started to feel more myself. So I always knew that I was a SWAT. I always knew that I was somebody who loved language. I had a very good capacity for it. So that is something that has been a theme that's been going throughout my life. But when I went to high school I had the feeling um, again I was very academically focused I thought that I would perhaps be a lawyer as fate would have it I did actually end up getting the score that I needed in order to take law but I decided that actually an arts degree was where my passion lay and I think that this is one of the early signs that I did have or was allowed to foster a good self-knowledge I think there's a great deal of pressure if you have achieved in a like a traditional way, like with a particular score or whatever that might be, to going to a tertiary education and, and pursuing a career that is prestigious. People have lots of very unfortunate things to say about arts degrees because those people are tools. Arts degrees are wonderful things that help you develop a critical facility. And um, I have the feeling that if more people had developed an ability to read media, we'd probably have... A, fewer vaccine skeptics and QAnon fans but that's by the by I decided to pursue arts I very much enjoyed it and I finished my degree on an exchange within University College Dublin studying nothing but Chaucer and living overseas in Dublin during the height of the dot-com boom that was a wonderful experience for me 
getting away from everything that I knew. I was quite a homebody, I'd say, and you know, I loved my family, I loved all my creature comforts, and um, going overseas was a, a wonderful way for me to go and understand that I could actually make a home wherever I was. And at the close of, of that degree, I was like, oh, well, I don't want to be an academic. I thought perhaps that after my, my degree finished that I'd, I'd pursue master's or I'd be going on to becoming a, um, a lecturer and an academic myself. But it was so monastic that I decided that that wasn't for me either. I toyed with the idea of becoming a hairdresser for a while because I knew on some level I wanted to be in a creative business that I had control over. Eventually, after a stint working in Edinburgh, managing a, a men's shaving ephemera kind of business called Penhaligans, that was a really great learning experience. I was managing staff who were in their, you know, their 50s when I was in my very early 20s. So it was being given a lot of responsibility and being asked to perform a particular kind of role. Retail wasn't for me, but again, being given the trust to be able to make decisions, that was really, really valuable for me during my time in Edinburgh. I came home because I recognised that living in Europe, A, meant I couldn't be close to my family and friends, but B, I could actually see that the quality of life for younger professionals in the UK was not as good as I considered at that stage in the early noughties to be the chances of a young professional in Australia. I'd always wanted to purchase property. <laughs> So I thought I could buy a house more likely if I come back home. So I came back home to Australia and I was like, bugger me, I'm not going to be an academic. I didn't pursue law. I'm not unintelligent. I don't want to work in retail. What the hell am I going to do? Now, my parents had recently purchased a property from an estate agent they thought was uh, you know, a nice guy, an unusual guy. They suggested maybe I should talk to him. So I went and I had an interview with this boutique estate agency in East Melbourne, which is a prestigious part of uh, the city. It's not very big. The houses there are worth a, a, a bazillion dollars. They're very expensive. And the age bracket of the owner there is is mature. Yeah, it's pretty old Australia. Anyway, I got a job working at this estate agency uh, and I loved it. I really loved it. I'm so glad that I followed my my nose into that career, not because it was prestigious. Clearly, everybody hates estate agents. Like they're up there in terms of public trust with politicians and used car salesmen. But I was working for a man who was at core very decent, and I was allowed to use my natural gregariousness, curiosity, and an aspect of relentlessness that I have in order to build quality relationships with people. Whichever business you're in, whether you're a writer or an estate agent, uh, whether you're a dentist, a manicurist or a music producer, all successful business is about building relationships that have authenticity at their core and having the bravery to do that, which is pretty much a, a kind of prospecting, even though that's a dirty word. Any kind of networking is, you know, you could extrapolate that out to being a form of prospecting. Now, when I started to spend a lot of time on my work as an estate agency, there wasn't a whole lot of support or understanding necessarily from my closer peer group. And I think that was because, A, I was 21 or 22, so I was really young. I was working six days a week. I was working really hard. And it was a world that few understood. And why would you? It's pretty, it's pretty weird. It's pretty arcane. It is a very hard kind of business. And it's the closest thing I could connect in terms of like labor levels to perhaps like the hard end of hospitality because of the long hours. And in fact, there's a lot of crossover between high-end hospitality and real estate practitioners. 
So there was a bit of discouragement there, but I, I really followed my nose. And over my period of time as an estate agent, I also grew the skills to become an auctioneer, of which I'm very proud. And I learned how to build relationships via prospecting in a way that didn't make the people that I was selling homes for feel put upon. And it was also in a way that didn't feel disingenuous to me. I began my career in real estate at an interesting time in social media and communications. At that time, websites were still like a real novelty. It was sexy if you had a a nice website in the real estate category, which makes me sound old, but really that was like only in 2004 or so. So it wasn't really that long ago in the scheme of things. And I began using as part of my prospecting Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn in their most virgin, in their most nascent forms. So they weren't the sophisticated advertising driving beasts we know today. They were something quite basic. But using those tools and gathering emails from potential clients, I was able to build relationships with those clients faster. And I noticed that the, I guess, the pipeline for them understanding who I was, what I would bring to their transaction, why I would be a good person, a trustworthy person to work with and represent them. It became so much faster once they were given access to an aspect of me. Now, I've always used social media as a way of presenting an avatar. It is me, but it's not all of me. It's a construct. And I've always thought about it and and used it that way. And I think that that is a really practical way to think about social media. You need to represent an aspect of yourself that you're happy to, but it doesn't mean that you need to spill every aspect of your life at all times. So, At the end of my time in real estate, I was just getting tired. I was getting fatigued. I'd managed to acquire some property while I was working in real estate because I did well. So I kind of set myself up a bit and I decided I needed to stop working in that industry because it was too stressful for me. I then began thinking about becoming self-employed. I knew that I had to be self-employed. When you're an estate agent, like you are pretty much self-employed. It's a commission-based income. So I was used to being that frog in the pan of hot water. I was used to, a, compared to a lot of people, a fairly high degree of risk in my income. That aspect of self-employment didn't really frighten me. In fact, I knew that, that I needed that in order to be able to, to be myself. I didn't want to have to be somewhere at a particular time. I didn't want to have to be. I didn't want to have to you know, do appalling business planning led by mediocre middle management. I know I sound like a snob, but there are a few things that are more like intellectually offensive than doing really crappy planning meetings. So I knew that I needed to work with a particular kind of person and I needed to be able to work independently. And that's when I decided I would create a business that did copywriting and social media and I pat myself on the back because that was pretty visionary to decide to be a social media agency back when it wasn't monetized at all. I began my business as it was known then called Ruby Slipper selling mostly copy traditional copy to the real estate category because I knew that industry very well I knew people in that industry well and I also began selling some social media but it was very very limited and I've been doing agency work now for 12 years. I'm really proud of the business that has taken me from a place of being someone who just wanted to be a sole trader, who could work on their own terms and had enough income just to cover their own mortgage and be able to enjoy the freedom of a life without an office, through to now being a company and an employer that provides a place of work which is stimulating, dignified and allows people to be their whole selves. That that makes me feel pretty good. So having begun 
12 years ago. So much has changed in both me as an entrepreneur and the category of social media management more broadly. I think it's fair to say that although the first thing that people associate with Ruby Assembly and more broadly me is social media marketing, in truth, I'm a writer and all the people who work with me are also writers. We have generally classical arts or design backgrounds and we create content for clients that are quite nuanced. We work with clients in the professional category. So if we had been through COVID and Ruby Assembly was a business that just did content for say hospitality businesses or fast moving consumer goods, we would have been in trouble as a business. Now, I can't say that It was because of some kind of divine design that we work with professional services. But I would say that I have chosen to work with organisations that I find interesting and that I feel are perhaps in categories that are given the raw end of the stick because they don't seem sexy on the surface. So we work with a lot of property, accounting, legal, kind of regulation, software, also like a business that is a large Italian food franchise, a psychic, a clothes designers, huge variety of different kinds of clients that we work with and have represented over the past decade. But they're not sales focused clients. So they're not clients that are having to compete very heavily on price or have any focus on discounting. Our clients are generally experts like Ruby Assembly ourselves. We are experts in communicating complex concepts to clients in a way that doesn't bore the pants off them and that helps our client build robust followerships and reputations in spaces that they need to be understood as leaders. So I think it's probably worth speaking a little bit about how I'd gone from being a sole trader through to now being a company. So when I began, I had no business background. I understood a bit about money and a bit about risk, I'd say, from my days in real estate. But I didn't know about ABNs or registering for GST. I'm a hyper compliant person. And so when I first began Ruby Slipper, as it was known, I signed up to all the ATO conferences. I registered for GST immediately. I did not need to register for GST. I ended up, like most people who begin their businesses, I was undercharging is an understatement. And then I was paying too much tax on top of it. These are all business lessons. And as my income grew and I began to use contractors, I also outgrew my accountant. And I'd say things really started to take off for my business once I got a proper accountant who helped me identify risks, helped me plan for BAS payments and quarterly payments. They removed a lot of the risk and fear that I hear other entrepreneurs who are considering becoming companies bring up, which is they're worried about having to pay superannuation. They're worried about having to pay for holidays for their staff. They're just worried about sticking their neck out a bit too far. Now, a good accountant will help you come to terms with the risks that those responsibilities bring. In my experience, as somebody who's done it, it's only by committing to having staff that you can get true scalability in your business if that's what you'd like to do. There's only so long that you can sell your own time because at some point your income necessarily kind of caps. You can increase your hourly rate or take on fewer clients, but the scalability comes from uh, replication in a good way. So I worked with these great accountants who gave me the confidence to then 
you know, register for GST at a time was a, that it was appropriate for my business to do so. They demystified being an employer. They made it really easy for me to make weekly payments to my team and to understand when I should be setting aside superannuation, paying superannuation. They made compliance much easier. And it was by committing to other people and thus allowing them to commit to me, moving away from that gig economy of contracting, that I was really able to put the golden wings on the heels of what is now known as Ruby Assembly. All throughout the last 12 years, the business has kind of been an incredible teacher. You go through these periods of steep learning, which can be brought about through challenges to your business model, failings that you have, which could be in relation to compliance or or business offering that you thought would be appealing but isn't in the form that you've suggested it, staffing, going through the process of hiring, having people leave or requiring people leave. These are all really big, big learning things. They feel bigger than anything I learned at uni. They feel bigger than anything that I learned at high school because they're painful, I think, in a way that the learnings at tertiary and high school level are not. But, you know, the worst and most challenging times in my business when I've been feeling sick, like I, I just wanted to be <laughs> to be ill, I felt so overwhelmed by anxiety. Those few moments, nothing compares to the joy and the freedom of living life on my own terms that Ruby Assembly has provided me. Nothing compares to feeling a true sense of purpose in that I'm a communicator and I help other people represent the best side of themselves to their audience. I feel proud of the organisations that we work for because they are all in the helping mode. And I'm super proud of the people that choose to spend their time working with me. They are clever, they are kind, and they are um, people who kind of take the baton and run with it. So for me, business equals freedom. And I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think that business needs to give you purpose either. Business itself does not give me purpose. It's a vehicle to living the kind of life that I'd like to live. And it's just a a really great pleasure. It's also allowed me to, at this stage in my life, have a family and really fit that in around with my own work agendas. You can actually explore that a little more in my side project called Little Mirrors, which is a vlog that I do with my husband and uh, occasional cameos by my beautiful baby daughter, which is looking at shifting identities from entrepreneurs when they become parents. So that's little-mirrors.com. So yeah, look, in a nutshell, that's the schema of my career and how I've ended up being here today. Have there been any particular mentors that have guided me towards my business structure? No, just myself and observing the world around me and seeing things that I think work and working with clients that have pushed me to grow my offering in new ways and also working with clients that haven't been a good fit that I've learned aren't a good match for my business and my business values. Yeah, so look, that's me. I've been working in social media for not quite as long as the Zuck, but a a very long time. And I really love it and the opportunities for connection between audiences and communities that, that it provides. So that's the end of my first solo podcast. Look, I hope you found that interesting. I hope that it give context to the other podcasts that I have. I do interview people who are part of the larger Ruby Assembly kind of family of people that we represent as an agency, as well as just wonderful entrepreneurs, both locally and internationally. 
And so I, I trust that this little introduction gives you a better sense of connection to me, but also clues you into some of the opinions that I might be expressing in my interviews. If you'd like to reach out and discuss any of the neuroses that you might be feeling about being a sole trader or becoming a company or becoming an employee, I am here for it. I love to see it. Please DM me best on Instagram at Ruby Assembly. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Sell Less Mean More.